0: We have Andrew Falks joining us, today, and um, Andrew has a long history with UC Davis. Um, Andrew got his uh, Bachelor of Landscape, of Science of Landscape Architecture in 1994, not uh, quite a but room, but He is a licensed landscape architect. Um, in 2002, he uh, and he was a co-founder of a group called Team Yomi, which I'm going to tell you all about today. Uh, Andrew wears many hats. he's president of Team Yomi, but he's also uh, the executive director of the Arboretum here on campus, and the official name for that is UC Davis Arboretum and the Public Garden. And he's also, uh, that is associated with the campus planning and community resources unit uh, on campus. Andrew was the former manager of the Two Creek Nature Reserve on campus, and so you've for sure seen some of his handiwork um, uh, restoring uh, much of the creek and building the trails along the creek. Um, I think I said in, in your introduction, uh, the first day of class, that Andrew has a streak of Frederick Law Olmstead He definitely does, and he's blazing trails in this region that are really exciting. He's going to tell us about one of the most exciting things that happened in the region today. Um, this that the National <coughs> Monument uh, that we uh, I mean, uh... <laughs> 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 That's just uh, scratching the surface of how you get to that point. Um, so, um, uh, for disclosure, I been recently um, uh, coerced into being on the board of Tulio. So, with um, that. Andrew. All right. Thank you,
1: Steve. So hopefully everyone will be uh, well fed and not too tired. I hope to uh, fall asleep during the middle of the uh, of the talk. I'll try and keep you excited since you've all just keep trying to move this map around a lot it looks really busy. So i like to have it be sort of dynamic. Um, before I tell you any sort of background on me, I want to ask just a general question. How many folks here like to do any of the following? Hiking, biking, bird watching, target shooting, hunting, kayaking, mountain biking, horseback riding, jet skiing, snow skiing, water skiing, paragliding, or hang gliding. Anything anything within that? Any hands? So we have, one, we have someone who doesn't, is there anyone who doesn't like to do anything outdoors at all, my God, it's sticky, for day. All right, then you're in the right place, so good. Um, and you'll know why I rattle off all of that list of things, um, and we'll get to why that's so important to have at least one of those things as something that you enjoy doing outside. So, uh, yeah, I was an undergrad here and graduated in '94, and uh, kind of noodled around in some landscape architecture firms that should remain nameless, but let's just say that when you're eight months out of graduating and you designing, parking lots for Walmart distribution centers, you probably uh, are thinking maybe I should be doing something a little bit else. I'm not talking parking lots for Walmarts. I'm talking about Walmart distribution centers. <laughs> a little bit different, right? Even more bland and displaying in the environment. So my background here was in um, landscape architecture with an emphasis on environmental restoration. And so career-wise, that's the way I wanted to head out. But when I graduated, the you know, first thing you wanna do is pay the opportunity. So the Walmart distribution center gig was, you know, great for that eight months of crisis hell. But it taught me how to um, make, you know, AutoCAD construction drawings, which led me into my next position, which was about seven years at a firm known as Jones & Stokes, which is now ICF International. And uh, we did environmental restoration work throughout the Western U.S. So everything from well, recreation and restoration, to woodlands to uh, rural pools. Um, it's really cool when you can see your projects in Google Earth. That's kind of that. I think that was one of my big goals. Google Earth hadn't even existed at that point, but when it suddenly came on, I'm going, "Hey, satellite photos of my five miles of river. Up here? That's kind of cool." So maybe that gave me a bit of a god you so Now I want to do things that are only visible in space. But um, uh, I got an opportunity to come work here as the uh, manager of the Peterborough Aquarium Reserve. When I graduated, I got involved pretty quickly with an environmental group, Blue uh, Creek Council, it was a local group, in Davis, and worked on uh, environmental restoration along the field.
0: I kept wanting to get something bigger. Get it.
1: And so then I got on the board of the local Sierra Club, and uh, I got a little disillusioned with that. I'm not the speaker of the Sierra Club, I'm a member of so you know it's great, but it seemed to be that the primary focus was about stopping things stop this bad development, stop this oil drilling, all worthwhile, but man, it's like a karmic soul sucker. You You just don't want to get out there and constantly be fighting things. You want to have a vision, and you want to fight for something, right? That's excitement. That gets you going. So, with a group of friends, uh, back in 2002, we started Tuliomi. And Tuliomi is a uh, Lake Miwok word, a Lake Miwok from Clear Lake, uh, which means deep home place. It's actually a village site, kind of at the intersection between the Blue Creek and Cat Creek Watershed, and we really resonated with that term because it was kind of our deep home place. It was that place we really felt passionate about, right? the Upper Watershed, so here we are zooming into Davis. Here is Davis, and now we're going to look to... The west here, and it was these mountains that we really loved enjoying and visiting. And the primary places that we went in those mountains were the public lands contained in there. So, this map shows all of the uh, public lands, federal and state, and some local within this area. So, if you go up Highway 16, pass from the Cash Creek, you come into uh, Cash Creek Canyon, this is Valley Vista Park over here, County Park uh Bureau of Land Management, Federal Public Lands, and I got up here and I started playing, right? And after I realized I was gonna be living here for a while I should go out and enjoy the place, so I started going up to all the public lands and playing, And that meant doing a lot of the aforementioned activities, with the exception of any of the air-based ones, um, and just going up there and enjoying the environment. And coming to realize that there wasn't a group out there that was actually working on protecting this area. There are plenty of environmental groups around. You have the Puda Creek Council, and they focus on Puda Creek along this stretch of uh, Highway 128 and, and through Davis and Winters, but they don't go beyond that. You had the Cache Creek Conservancy, and they work from the uh, diversion dam above Esparto all the way down to the bypass, but they didn't work above that. Uh, you had land trusts, but they didn't really work in the hills; anymore more in agricultural land down in the valley. So, as we realized there was this void of a conservation group that wanted to work in this vast swath of public properties, uh, we formed. And, you know, we had our sort of fits and starts here. Brian I had an idealist, you are like, what are we going to do, what are we going to do? So, we started off, the first thing we wanted to do was protect Cache Creek. Why? Because we love to go kayaking on Cache Creek. Cache Creek, if if folks haven't done it, it's one of those things I didn't know about until after graduation, and boy, I wish I had known about it before, because literally only an hour from Davis, you've got class two and three whitewater that runs from about April through August that's super uncrowded. Mm -hmm. Spectacular. And so if you're in Davis, you go up Highway 16, and all the whitewater is up in this stretch through Cache Creek Wilderness, and then through Goa County down into Rumsey. And so you can do this little lower run you know, in a couple hours, so you can do a half day trip, get some white water in be back in time to have a late lunch. But there were threats on this river. There were people trying to build uh, dams in there. And it was amazing unspoiled. And we said, we've got to figure out a way that we can create something better than a reservoir. So we worked on a campaign to make it a, a state wild and scenic river. And that campaign lasted two years with uh, Lois Walt, who was our assembly one at the time as our bill sponsor. And the outcome of that was these 31 miles of Calf Creek are now a state, wild, and scenic river, protected from dam building in perpetuity. So we were going, this is great, look at this. So we did a great job with this. Um, and then the dam builders said, well, you know, okay, we won't build a dam on the river. We'll just build dams on all the tributaries the river said, well, that's great, but we've got a conservation vision that, again, is a little bit bigger than that. So we started working on a campaign to uh, come to protect the public lands around the river as um, uh, federal wilderness area. And so in 2006, I uh, went through Congress, and we had the um, Cache Creek Wilderness, which is this outline I just turned on here, about 23,000 acres." And the Cedar Ruffs Wilderness, which is a really spectacular, but very wild area, with no roads, the world's largest genetically pure stand of Sargent Cypress, 6,000 acres, designated as federal wilderness, in perpetuity, permanently protected, won't be logged, won't be mined, um, we will not have roads built through it, but in perpetuity these lands will exist for you and future generations beyond you. So at that point, you know, we, we got a little bit of pushback because wilderness is the highest level of designation for land. Uh, it, it excludes mountain bikes, um, it excludes um, uh, motorized vehicles, and in some areas that's very, very appropriate because the, the wildlife value and the fact that it's completely roadless. So it has wilderness characteristic. Most of the land around this area, the other public lands have uh, active use uh, of all those other user groups and things that I have mentioned. And they said, well, how are we going to protect these areas that don't need wilderness characters? How do we do that? How do we find a way to protect an area that um, has a bunch of stakeholders who aren't going to want to stop certain activities? They, they're going to want to keep doing that. But we want to make sure that the lands are not so parceled and subdivided and logged and, uh, and mined to the point where all of the wildlife value, and even the recreational value that we have, isn't there anymore. And so we began a campaign uh, for something called the Berryessa Snow Mountain National Conservation Act, which is a level of protection below wilderness, but it's still part of the National Landscape Conservation System and is managed for the values of recreation, wildlife, uh, public enjoyment, water quality, and so it's more sort of inclusive. And we said, I think we can do it. So we began a campaign that lasts about six years and concluded this July. And I'm gonna go a little about into kind of that campaign while we've got the time here about sort of what that entailed and all the twists and turns that it took and the wildness that culminated with the conclusion uh, of July 10th of this year. So you come up with a big idea, right? And What do you think some of the responses were to saying we want to permanently protect this area as a national conservation area? Anyone kind of think of just think if you were an opponent, what would be something you would think of why you wouldn't want development, water, Water. development, yeah, general government. That's that's one we always. It's kind of the old keep the government out of my Medicare, Mm -hmm. you know, argument. It was the same things like don't don't have the government. I don't have the federal government do a land grab of federal land, right? <laughs> so, that was an interesting argument to have to work through, the idea that, that essentially it was the, the level of bureaucracy would be such that, that uh, you will, by default, not, not allow folks to, to use this area. So, interesting argument, right? Now, those of us that have worked on conservation for a long time know that that really is a whole book. Um, but that's kind of the, basically, whenever there's change, Every fear that a person has gets put in that bucket of that proposed change. So if you're um, if you're someone who likes to go rock county you're afraid that's going to stop. If you like to ride horses, you're afraid that's going to stop. If you like to ride motorcycles, you're afraid it's going to stop. So our six-year campaign, most of that was working with all of the people that love this area for different reasons and getting them on board to support it. So that meant working with uh, the Blue Ribbon Coalition, which is an off-road vehicle advocacy organization, they endorsed this. The American Motorcycle Association endorsed this. Along with Sierra Club Audubon, a group of paragliders, hang gliders. Um, we had the Backcountry Horsemen of America, uh, the Lake County Backcountry Horsemen, the Backcountry Horsemen and Anglers who free wild trout. Uh, basically every group we could find that used the area, we worked with them on crafting the legislation so that they knew that in statute, nothing that they held dear would be threatened by this. And the interesting thing that we learned about that is building this coalition of partners makes you amazingly powerful. Because imagine if you have all the people that oppose each other generally on issues, you know, the motorcyclists are against the wilderness people and the mountain bikers are against the motorcyclists and the horseback riders are against the motorcyclists and the mountain bikers. And now we're all like buds and we're going camping together and (laughs) we all agree on a piece of legislation and all of us go into our representatives and as a coalition say, do this. Pretty amazing. And so we did that, we built that coalition and we had a number of opponents, and, and the opponents to this uh, largely was a philosophical thing. It was, you know, the land shouldn't be public anyway, it should all be private. And so you can't really start a discussion at the very foundation of what you're talking about, and you know, can't be can't, uh, can't accommodated. We said, well, no, we're not gonna turn it all private and walk away, we're gonna leave it as a, uh us uh, see, did they, uh, that's a political legend. It, we're gonna leave it as, as federal, and we're gonna make sure that all the private property that's inside the federal, Uh, that this designation will not impact it, so all the private lands that are held with inside the federal lands will not be impacted by the designation, it will only occur on the the federal lands. And then we started working with the local chambers of commerce um, for all the surrounding counties, the local cities. So we went all the way from Chambers of Commerce, which are nonprofit organizations representing businesses, to every city around the area to get support resolutions from, to every board of supervisors around the area. And if there was any county that was not interested in the project happening, we didn't have a project the project happen in that county. And so then no one could say, you're forcing this on us, right? We're, they're, they're coming on and saying, this is great, we want this. And then we did real factual analysis. We had uh, uh, Headwaters Economics do a study that actually the Winners Chamber of Commerce uh, paid for that found that it would be a huge economic boom to make this area a national conservation area because of the visitation that would occur. And a lot of these communities around the perimeter are somewhat impoverished, and they rely on tourism, and anything that can increase their tourism increases their bottom line and their ability to operate and function. So in the end, we got a difference in all those things. Now, one sort of little side note on this is the tale of Berryessa Peak, which Steve saw 10 years ago or so when we were doing counterforce master planning. One of my sort of white whales, my big projects that I started working on back in the early 90s, was this mountain right here, Berryessa Peak a Peak is visible from almost all of Yolo County. If you're ever uh, between Davis and Woodland, you look to the west and you see a tiny pair of transmitter towers on the ridge, that's the summit of Berryessa Peak. And when I was looking for places to recreate when I first moved here, um, I looked to the west and public land maps and I saw this 9,600 acre chunk of land that span the ridge for about eight miles. And I said, I want that, I want to get on that. So I went to the end of every county road um, to the west, and at the end, all I saw was no trespasses, because there's private land interceding, so you couldn't get to it. It's what's known as landlocked. Landlocked means that you've got public land that's completely surrounded by private, and there's only way for the public to get to it. And the private owners that surrounded this area on the yellow side, many of those folks were well-known citizens, and... Politicians and very well connected and they enjoyed the fact and they fought very, very hard for this to remain off limits to the public because their private hunting clubs could go and enjoy it and use it. In fact, one group charged trespass fees for hunters to cross their property to go use the public property. And so the threat of me coming in and trying to uh, give some access to public resources was uh, very real for them, and so they did a lot of work to try and stop me from working on this project. They tried to get me kicked off of a county committee that was working on parks. Um, They wrote lots of letters to the editor uh, to try and say how awful I was for disrespecting their right to maintain exclusive access to this. But Tuliomi uh, was working behind the scenes on a number of things to gain access to this land. And one of the first things we did, when they said, you guys need to, if you want a ranch, buy it. And we said, okay. So we bought a ranch. (laughs) Right next to the public home. And that ranch had a deeded easement for the ranch. So now we had access. Now granted, it wasn't open public access that we wanted, but we could now bring people up there to see what they were missing. In fact, when we first started this project, we'd get to the end of the road and you'd see your No Trespassing sign and your gate. And there were even some handwritten notes on there. We know who you are. <laughs> but we need to get photographs from the top because when you're making a campaign, you've got to have imagery, right? You've got to be able to tell people, this is what you're missing. Okay, And so... I was tracking uh, the sale of the transmitter towers, and when the new owner acquired the transmitter tower, up on the summit, I called him up and made friends with him. Turns out he lives in Santa Cruz. He loves to go hiking. He says, I'm going up there next weekend. You guys want to come up with us? (laughs) So now we are up on top of the summit, actually on uh, the old fire lookout before it burned in 2004. And we got our pictures from the summit of the peak. And they were pretty spectacular. We were able to look out across the Cape Valley all the way to the Sierra and the Mount Shasta. And so we now had, To proof, because they said, ah, the views don't get up there. It's nothing up there, it's just hot. So now we had a ranch property that could get us to one side, and we had a buddy that could take us up to the top of the other because he had the rights to go up there for his cow. Now we needed to find a way for the public to get up there. Well, just about that time, Department of Fish and Wildlife completed a purchase of this parcel right here, part of the old uh, loft ranch part of the Rockville State Wildlife Area. And so I've been sitting on this, you know, very ass peak access idea for <coughs> a, little bit, a, little, a little while. And then um, after they completed that purchase, I went back to my maps and I went,
0: Holy crap, what is this?
1: There's only a half mile gap between the public lands over here, the public lands here, and there's a little corner crossing over here. We'd have to get a permission to cross this corner. I wonder who owns this property. This is on the Napa side. I never thought about going so on the Napa side. So we look up the uh, property ownership records and it's uh, John and Judy Allman. I don't know who they are, funny thing. One of our board members on said, oh, I know John Judy. <laughs> what? Well, John and Judy, uh, they, they own multiple businesses. One of them is they sell election equipment and they, they deal with the state. And this person on our board of directors uh, worked for the state. So I tell them, do you want me to introduce you guys? Okay. So we, uh, we went out and met with them at their ranch. The ranch headquarters is these uh, beautiful buildings down here. Got wonderful ranch property, 3,000 acres that goes all the way up to the ridge and includes most of the Green Canyon coming down here. And we met with them, and you know, it turns out John is an Eagle Scout. He's in the 70s, he's an Eagle Scout, went to Belmont, loved the outdoors, said, you know, the youth don't get enough access out to the outdoors. i tell you what we'll do. Uh, we'll donate an easement, free of charge, across our land to get to the public land. Now, at this point, I've been working on this project for about, I don't know, what, like 10 years? I, I was pretty much, well, no, I've been 15 at that point. And uh, so, you know you are not doing the victory dance yet, so try to keep yourself calm even though you're kind of like buzzing. (laughs) And this is their property in here, this little block. And this is the corner crossing right here. And right here that we have to do on their property. And so we ended up getting that easement through there Handing it off to the Napa County Parks and Open Space District. Doing all the pro bono work for um, doing the reconnaissance. As we went out, looking at where the trail line would go. The slopes are about 45 degrees. They're pretty crazy steep. Uh, So we backpacked. That's the director of the Parks and Open Space District. Looking at some of the, the locations for the trail, then we would go up into the um, the state wildlife area on the old ranch roads, hiking up to the top, going further and further up the hillside until we could get to the corn crossing. Looking at the peak, as I always said, it was always sitting there mocking me. (laughs) No more, I now had legal access to get up there. With amazing vistas out into the surrounding landscape as you get higher and higher before you came to that fence that was the corner crossing. And all of this trail alignment had to be done with global positioning system because there were no landmarks out there that you could adequately find when you're trying to locate this. So I programmed all the property boundaries into a little risk of GPS and carried it out and had to locate those fence corners with precision because you didn't want to build a trail on somebody else's land. And I'm happy to say that we nailed it. We had a little needle, the thread, so we had, basically, let's see, we had a 10-foot wide easement that had to fit within a 30-foot diameter, or 30-foot radius from the property corner uh, at the first corner, and within a 60-foot radius within the property corner at the second corner, and give you an example of how good this is. Google Earth now shows the trail, we nailed it. <laughs> we're in the middle of a rush that's head high and we're just looking at our wrist going, okay, I hope that this is right okay, let's build it. Um, trying to verify with some of these rocks that you see up here and saying, Okay, I think we're offset enough from the rocks. So we built this thing and we stayed completely within the public right of way as we were supposed to, to get it done. And it was in two thousand and twelve that we completed. Trail to the summit. And the reason this is important is not just because now we've created open public access for the first time in history to 9,600 acres of public land that brings you up to an amazing summit at the top of the mountain, 3,057 feet above sea level, that took us. 22 individual trail building trips that involve waking up at Davis at 6.30 in the morning, getting the trailhead at eight, hiking up to where you began the work, starting at 11, finishing at three, hiking back, driving back to Davis, getting back after dark, and doing that 20 something plus times. All while doing it in a variety of conditions, including uh, snow, uh, hail, in fact, we kind of had this running joke that every time we went up to do work on the trail, we would have adverse conditions. And it just made me more and more determined to finish this project. Here we are where we actually had to carve off six inches of snow from where we were going to start digging to build the trail on this amazing incline that is not an exaggerated slope. Meanwhile, our feet are freezing and we are exhilarated because we finally got the access up to the summit that we were looking for. And, which was very funny, one of the primary opponents to us having this trail, one of the main antagonists who wrote most of the letters to the editor, was a man named Jerry Harbury. He was helpful enough to fence and post his boundaries for us so we didn't have to guess where the property corner was. (laughs) (laughs) One of the ultimate sort of karmic ironies on this, and I try to be good and not have too much deliciousness from it, but... He was such a pain in the butt that when his father passed away, he actually left the family ranch to his sister and his cousin and not him. And they ended up selling it. And so within three months of us gaining public access to the public lands, he lost his private access to the public lands. <laughs> I was on the phone with one of our other board members and we said, we have to take the high road on this, but we can jump) it. <laughs> So again, as we get closer to the summit as we're building this, uh, we just kept getting more and more excited. The closer and closer we get to it, building that section of trail along the way. This was when we were in fog. That was, actually it wasn't fog, it was a cloud. One of the interesting things about building a trail in a cloud is you can't exactly see where you're going. So I would actually have to go off into the distance to find the flags that we had around the trees that told us where the alignment was, and then I'd find my way back and then have them trace my footsteps as we were digging it out. So that was another fun one here. I went through a lot of friends on this uh, on this mm-hmm. trip, mostly because I'd wear them out. There were only a handful of people who would go multiple times because it was one heck of a job to build a trail that is uh, seven and a half miles long. It requires you to hike for three hours before you even begin starting your work. But I can tell you right now that it is open to the public, free for everyone, and amazing hike. Even if you don't make it all the way to the summit, going up as far as you can, the amount of uh, amazing vistas and palisades, things that you'll see. We had to wade through brush with our loppers and saws. We didn't use any power tools when building this. It, so it was all done by hand. And um, yeah, this is what trail scouting looks like. Mm. Uh, one of the steeper sections that we had to build for trail into It was always satisfying at the end of the day because you walk in and your, your ankles were forty-five degrees sideways, and you're trying not to roll down the hill. And there was one time where I was digging, and I I kind of went back too far. And, and, uh, thing I rolled down two or three times. we we're, of we're laughing. This ground was nice and soft. So that's so good. This is an example of construction on a hillside. Again, watch the uh, yeah your connection here for which is um, tons of fun. And the funny thing is, you know, there were people that said. Uh, wow, this is really, really hard. Um, I don't see how you're uh, gonna complete this trail. And then after we completed it it said, that's a pretty nice trail. (laughs) Uh, There's a little bit of water on the way, but generally it's very dry. We had to haul stairs up. This one I had to hike in six miles before I could put the stairs up, so we each had backpacks filled with stairs and sledgehammers and rebar uh, to build it on some slopes. There were generally all active, really nice gentle uh, inclines with switchbacks, but, in this one section where we had to nail that 60-foot corridor we had to go straight down in order to stay on the public lands and so you see how tight we had to be with that property boundary we didn't have a lot of options it was far too steep over here so we get down and cross over and then go across the other side so why is this important well a couple reasons uh, one, totally selfish. I was really happy that uh, in 2015 I, I won a Trail Worker of the Year award from the, uh, the for the Trails project. Personally, that's very satisfying, but it's really more about the work. It's not about any recognition, though. The reason this is satisfying is when we went to do the National Conservation Area legislation, Congress was mildly dysfunctional. Uh, recently, it seems to have hit a bit more of a meter for dysfunction. So, Um, He said, understating recent events. And so it was pretty clear it was not going to get out of committee or it voted on all. And so we pivoted, and about two years ago we switched from a National Conservation Area campaign to a National Monument campaign where the President, through the 1906 Antiquities Act, can actually designate uh, federal property as uh, a National Monument. and. We worked again with all of our partners that we brought on board, all of those diverse groups, all the cities, all the counties. We went back to them and said, okay, same piece of land, same idea, different name, we need your endorsement again for this new campaign. <coughs> Nothing would change. The proclamation would be the legislation. But nonetheless, it's different, so we need your support. And we got it. And one of the things that the administration would not do was have land added to the National Monument that was landlocked. And so, various Peak had reason under the 1906 Antiquities Act to be included as a National Monument or part of the National Monument because it was actually uh, John Muir who was part of the expedition that uh, did the 39th parallel in the survey of the United States, the most accurate baseline survey ever done that got the entire width of the United States accurate to within a couple meters over the entire length of the United States. And Barrios-Apeat was one of the monuments used to establish the YOMA baseline, which if you're a surveying nerd, it is like the premier ultimate survey that was ever done was the yellow Baseline in terms of accuracy back in the early, early 1900s. So it had merit to be included, and yet historically it had been bangla. But because we had built the trail and had the easement to the summit, they included it in the National Monument designation. And so sometimes when you do things, you don't realize the ripple effect that it has. And in this case, the almost excessive desire to get to the summit of this mountain led to it being included and permanently protected when all this area in green, July 10th, 2015, was included in the proclamation that made the Berryessa Snow Mountain National Monument. So this is now permanent. We have changed the map of the country. Look at the size of that, 331,000 acres. That's a big chunk of California we've got there. And this will be in perpetuity preserve or country. And that includes all of the groups that I mentioned at the beginning. In fact, we're not stopping here. A lot of national a lot of conservation groups, especially national ones, they finish a campaign and they go into the next campaign that's somewhere else, some other state. But well, we we live here. This is our place. So it's like the minute we got this done we didn't go, alright we're done. No, we said, oh great, now we've got to start working. So we've got invasive species management work to do. We've got trail planning to do and trail route management to do. We've got um, signs, visitor centers, all of those things we need to help get going in order to get people to really appreciate this. Because long term, it doesn't matter if the president has said this is permanent. It only matters as long as the citizenry wants it to stay permanent. And so the power of a coalition and the power of the citizens and activists is extremely hot in this case, again, it was sort of positive vision. We want to create something for everyone. And so rather than fighting constant battles against X or Y, we had a bold vision of a national conservation area that spanned five different counties, multiple different watersheds that would be protected for everyone. So two weeks ago, we had a meeting with all those partners. We offered vehicles, the horsemen, uh, rock climbers, the hang gliders, the mountain bikers, the hikers, the and backpackers, and the wilderness advocates. And we are jointly working on a trails, coordinated trails and, and management plan for the entire national monument as partners, and that's huge. That is different than most of the way these battles go. One group heights and so, I'll leave enough time for a few questions for folks. But the main kind of thing to take home is: if you get an idea, go big with it. There's nothing that's going to stop you from getting it because you just have to pull advocates together have a compelling reason for it. In our case, we had scientific backing, we had economic backing, we got multiple scientists to sign on for this with, from actual given research reasons that they were doing research in this area and why this region was so important as a conservation area for the biological diversity that was in here. For the geologic diversity, uh, Eldridge Morris, a prominent geologist here at UC Davis, Loves this region for the diversity of the geology. It says it's like no other place on earth in terms of the compactness of the site. Even though it's 100 miles long, the amount of different geological activities going on in this 100 miles is more than almost anywhere else to be seen. And those arguments help win the day. So emotion is great. People love it and they love it with a passion, but having science to back up the reasons behind it can get you to a point where you literally change the map. So with that, I'll take any questions that you Yes? So this
0: land that you have is federal? It is federal only, yes. So how did the local county and state, um, how are they affected, I'm wondering, fiscally? like Do they have certain fiscal responsibilities for this federal land? They
1: don't. Yeah, it's managed by the Bureau of Land Management or the Forest Service. And so the locals, for most of them, it tends to be, um, that folks come there to recreate on those lands.
0: So is this something that had that was like automatically put into the plan or was it something that they negotiated?
1: What what's that? That's, who's
0: responsible for the plan? Uh no a, the, the responsibility the board.
1: stays the same. Okay. So the responsibility stays with the federal government okay. for the management. Mm-hmm. But as part of the
0: So how did that affect the property of the lovely family who gave you that short little...
1: Nothing happens to it. There's, since it's uh, private property, so it's not under the federal uh, jurisdiction, they're still under hmm. local county regulations for building and that sort of thing.
0: So they just gave you permission to build the,
1: yes. yeah, awesome. the trail? Yeah, for the trail. That's, that's they, they, awesome. They, they gave it. They donated it. They, yeah. they don't. So it's a legal easement mm-hmm. that runs with the title. So when they... Pass on and pass it to their heirs, and the property transfers. The public still has that trail corridor in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was, was some extreme generosity on the part, and I, every time I get a chance, thank them. We actually became such good friends there on our board of directors now too. Mm-hmm. So, um, so is there any chance of Columbia uh, kind of buying up land adjacent?
0: this area and I love that leading question. It's like I
1: planted you there. So, <laughs> our nonprofit is also a land trust. And so, you saw that we had bought the Ireland Ranch, which I had mentioned before. We have also bought other properties uh, within the area in addition. Um, basically, strategic parcels like the headwaters of Cold Canyon. Most folks know Cold Canyon as a hiking area. We bought this piece right in here that links up this piece of public property with this piece of public property, which is why the National Monument can connect across the canyon. And it opened up, we opened up another two and a half miles of hiking trail at the top of the canyon that we built because we bought this property. That's inside the National Monument. Then we also own the side of Goat Mountain, uh, we have 660 acres over here that's a private inholding within the National Forest. So this will be protected permanently. It's all the spring and water sources on the side of the mountain, which were originally homesteaded. Uh, those are now under our control, and um, we allow the public to go in there and hike and uh, enjoy themselves. They just don't allow off road vehicles in this particular spot because the hunting camp that is up here that our caretakers use, uh, they don't have, you know folks up there in vehicles or they'd be able to stuff. Um, And then, uh, lastly, we um, are in the process of buying, we're actually in escrow right now. We are buying the Silver Spur Ranch, 1,280 acres, right there, and that will be open to the public for horseback riding, mountain biking, hiking, camping, it is in the narrow section of the National Monument. All of these properties have been willing sellers, people that we've approached who said they wanted to sell to us, or people who have approached us saying, we want this property preserved, we've owned it for X number of years, we don't want it to change, we think it should be best in an NGO or public uh, uh, domain. In the case of this one, it's actually the Buddhist church that owned this property, and they wanted a conservation group that would allow for educational use of the property, but also would not allow any hunting or fishing per their request. And while we do have properties where hunting is allowed, on this one um, it will not be, and that's per the wishes of the of the owner. And so they were thrilled, and so they gave us a discount on this property. It's one thousand two hundred eighty-eight, <coughs> and they're selling it to us for five hundred thousand oh. oh. dollars. <laughs> And we expect to be closed with escrow within 12 months. The Wildlife Conservation Board is going to fund it. It is the headwaters of Benmore Canyon, which uh, goes down into the north fork of Cache Creek. And we are hoping that restoration and the handling we can do on the property will attract a herd of tule elk that hang out down here in the canyon. And if they've got um, safe space to move up to the headwaters of the canyon, they will. So that is one of the current projects that we're working on. Um, there's always opportunities to buy various parcels. We always look at it from a strategic standpoint. Um, is it biologically important? Does it provide a connectivity between the other public lands or public access? In the case of this one, it's kind of a no-brainer. It surrounded on the sides by like Bureau of Land Management. Um, it also allows us to, um, while we won't have off-road vehicles within the immediate area here, Uh, some existing off-road vehicle use goes in here, and we're actually going to allow this loop to continue so that the off-road vehicle folks can access this loop, but then we'll also, in giving that to the BLM as an easement, we'll work with the BLM on blocking off the other areas where vehicle trespass has occurred onto the site, which has caused some of the um, erosion you can see on these slopes where illegal off-road vehicle use has been. And so working with these off-road groups, you know, they they don't want erosion and illegal abuse. And so they're saying, sure, yeah, you should shut that down, that's not right, it's on private property. And so we say, yeah, well, can you help us out and tell you what we'll do to sweeten the pot? We'll give you guys this loop over here so that you can help us cut this off and restore it. Sure, that's a win-win. So forming those coalitions, and i never getting so, this is just my philosophy again, folks are welcome to do whatever they want, but my idea is don't do so, we a lot. pure that you can't
0: get things done. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing about this is you might be a wilderness advocate and you go,
1: I hate off road of motorcycles, they're loud and noise, but you know what, other people like them. And you find out how you guys can come together on projects. And uh, we've done wilderness expansions where we've had uh, support for the motorcycle guys because we're not impacting their support. And so forming those, forming those coalitions is, is a huge part of that.
0: Yeah, so yes. I'm looking at the screen now, the national mine, I you know I just can't help but see all of the red that's not inside it. Yes.
1: What drove that? this red was Calusa County, which uh, they're one of those counties where leadership believes that all land should be private, and they didn't want any federal overlay. We did get a little bit of Calusa County in there in the existing wilderness area. The forest Service request. But you know, we're working on an even bigger idea because the Sierra Nevada is covered entirely by the Sierra Nevada Conservancy, which is the state conservancy, which works on conservation projects within the Sierra Nevada mountain range. There is no corresponding conservancy for the coast range. Mm-hmm. After we accomplished this, within two days, uh, Senator Wolf pulled us up and said, hey, how about we work on a northern intercoast range conservancy, which mm-hmm. will go all the way from the Oregon border down to the Bay Area, and that can get some of these funds that the state generates for land acquisition and conservation and preservation within that area. And which we said, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're looking at uh, establishing a conservancy. We've already started talking with the more conservative members of the Casey County uh, for supervisors and they actually love the idea because they've seen how well it works in Sierra Nevada in conservation both on public and private lands without additional federal and state overlays and so we think we're going to be able to bring on partners that weren't even on for this kind of thing. Yeah, so that's our, our long term. Is that legislation that's being proposed right now? It's moving so quickly we're having to like internally be getting ready because Lois just wants to get that. So... Any other questions for folks? If uh, if not, go out and enjoy the reach and go to either two young dogs. So Pardon? I was just curious how you got this all up and grab the Like I mean. I have five of us around the kitchen table getting super frustrated with the existing organizations we were part of and just finally going, ah, damn yeah, we'll let's start our own. Mm-hmm. And then about three meetings trying to day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So five friends, don't need three meetings make it on the job. President, vice president, and president. And uh, so we had five, we started group, we started small, we started connecting with environmental groups to work on the scenic river, and then once that first campaign was successful, everything exploded. It was made it's like well the scenic river occurred next we were buying land, suddenly we had the wilderness designation in place, suddenly we we're buying more land, and more the female land was a uh, national conservation. So it's building the momentum for me but starting small. He here is the bottom sand done. Although we keep getting told that was actually fast, but it seemed like a long enough And this was under, you know, for people to say, oh, only Democrats do conservation. Schwarzenegger signed a the bottom sand river bill, and the North Coast, the Wild well Heritage Bill, the Natural Wilderness, was signed by George F. Bill. So it can be done if you have enough documents that are diverse enough The politicians will listen. We're not rich, but we have power.
0: That's what you needed. I just don't know how you spell it. Uh, Yeah.
1: Okay, yeah, Tuliomi. So T-U-L-E-Y-O-M-E dot org. And so you can see our website. We've got events. You can go out on hikes, lead hikes, trail building events, trail maps, lore up there. Um, so, if you want to get out and yep. enjoy the region, we've got the directions. And then uh, John and Judy, our last name is A-H-M-A-N-N. Uh, Judy was the uh, president of the California Cattle Women's Association more recently, so she had a lot of connections with the farmers and ranchers. All right, so go out there and get some stuff done, guys. Let's give her hands. I don't